Book Two, Chapter Twenty Five of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Five In Memoriam. In memory of Eric Erickson, I add a chapter of sonnets gathered from his papers, almost desiring that those only should read them who turn to the book a second time. How his papers came into my possession will be explained afterwards. Tumultuous rushing o'er the outstretched plains, a wildered maze of comets and of suns, the blood of changeless God that ever runs with quick diastole up the immortal veins, a phantom host that moves and works in chains, a monstrous fiction which collapsing stuns the mind to stupor and amaze at once. A tragedy which that man best explains, who rushes blindly on his wild career with trampling hoofs and sound of mailed war, who will not nurse a life to win a tear, but is extinguished like a falling star. Such will at times this life appear to me, until I learn to read more perfectly. Hum, if thou art tempted by a thought of ill, crave not too soon for victory, nor deem thou art a coward if thy safety seem to spring too little from a righteous will. For there is nightmare on thee, nor until thy soul hath caught the morning's early gleam, seek thou to analyze the monstrous dream by painful introversion. Rather fill thine eye with forms thou knowest to be truth, but see thou cherish higher hope than this, a hope hereafter that thou shalt be fit, calm-eyed to face distortion, and to sit, transparent among other forms of youth, who own no impulse save to God and bliss. And must I ever wake, grey dawn, to know thee standing sadly by me like a ghost? I am perplexed with thee, and thou shouldst cost this earth another turning, all aglow, Thou shouldst have reached me with a purple show along far mountain-tops, and I would post over the breath of seas, though I were lost in the hot phantom chase for life. If so, thou camest ever with this numbing sense of chilly distance and unlovely light, walking this gnawing soul anew to fight with its perpetual load. I drive thee hence, I have another mountain-range from whence, Bursteth a sun unutterably bright. Galileo. And yet it moves, ah, truth, where wert thou then, when all for thee thy racked each piteous limb? Wert thou in heaven, and busy with thy hymn, when those poor hands convulsed that held thy pen? Art thou a phantom that deceivest men to their undoing, or dost thou watch him, pale, cold, and silent in his dungeon dim? And wilt thou ever speak to him again? It moves, it moves. Alas, my flesh was weak. That was a hideous dream. I'll cry aloud how the green bulk wheels sunward day by day. Ah me, ah me, perchance my heart was proud that I alone should know that word to speak. And now, sweet truth, shine upon these, I pray. If thou wouldst live the truth in very deed, thou hast thy joy, but thou hast more of pain. Others will live in peace, and thou be fain to bargain with despair, 
and in thy need to make thy meal upon the scantiest weed. These palaces, for thee they stand in vain. Thine is a ruinous hut, and oft the rain shall drench thee in the midnight. Yea, the speed of earth outstrip thee, pilgrim, while thy feet move slowly up the heights. Yet will there come through the time rents about thy moving cell an arrow for despair, and oft the hum of far-off populous realms where spirits dwell. Two, blank. Speak, prophet of the Lord, we may not start to find thee with us in thine ancient dress, haggard and pale from some bleak wilderness, empty of all save God and thy loud heart, nor with like rugged message quick to dart into the hideous fiction mean and base. But yet, O prophet man, we need not less but more of earnest, though it is thy part to deal in other words, if thou wouldst smite the living mammon, seated not as then in bestial quiescence grimly dight, but thrice as much an idle god as when he stared at his own feet from morn to night. Footnote. This sonnet and the preceding are both one line deficient. THE WATCHER From out a windy cleft there comes a gaze Of eyes unearthly, which go to and fro Upon the people's tumult, for below The nations smite each other, no amaze Troubles their liquid rolling, or affrays Their deep-set contemplation, steadily glow Those ever-holier eyeballs, for they grow Liker unto the eyes of one that prays, And if those clasped hands tremble, comes a power as of the might of worlds and they are holden blessing above us in the sunrise golden and they will be uplifted till that hour of terrible rolling which shall rise and shake this conscious nightmare from us and we wake the beloved disciple one one do i see in twelve but second there methinks i know thee thou beloved one not from thy nobler port, for there are none more quiet-featured. Some there are who bear their message on their brows, while others wear a look of large commission, nor will shun the fiery trial. So their work is done. But thou hast parted with thine eyes in prayer. Unearthly are they both, and so thy lips seem like the porches of the spirit-land. For thou hast laid a mighty treasure by, unlocked by him in nature, and thine eye, burns with a vision and apocalypse thy own sweet soul can hardly understand. 2. A Boanerges, too. Upon my heart it lay a heavy hour. Features like thine should glow with other message than the shine of the earth-burrowing leaven and the start that cleaveth horrid gulfs. Awful and swart, a moment stoodst thou, but less divine, brawny, and clad in ruin, till with mine thy heart made answering signals, and apart beamed forth thy two rapt eyeballs, doubly clear, and twice as strong, because thou didst thy duty, and though affianced to immortal beauty, hidest not weakly, and underneath her veil, the pest of sin and death, which maketh pale, henceforward be thy spirit doubly dear. Footnote. To these two sonnets Falconer had appended this note. Something I wrote to Ericsson concerning these during my first college vacation 
produced a reply of which the following is a passage. On writing the first I was not aware that James and John were the sons of thunder. For a time it did indeed grieve me to think of the spiritual-minded John as otherwise than a still and passionless lover of Christ. THE LILY OF THE VALLEY There is not any weed but hath its shower, there is not any pool but hath its star, and black and muddy though the waters are, we may not miss the glory of a flower, and winter moons will give them magic power. To spin in cylinders of diamond spar, and everything hath beauty near and far, and keepeth close and waiteth on its hour. And I, when I encounter on my road a human soul that looketh black and grim, shall I more ceremonious be than God? Shall I refuse to watch one hour with him, who once beside our deepest woe did bud, a patient watching flower about the brim? Tis not the violent hands alone that bring the curse, the ravage, and the downward doom. Although to these full off the yawning tomb owes deadly surfeit, but a keener sting, a more immortal agony will cling to the half-fashioned sin which would assume fair virtue's garb. The eye that sows the gloom with quiet seeds of death, henceforth to spring what time the sun of passion burning fierce breaks through the kindly cloud of circumstance, the bitter word and the unkindly glance, the crust and canker coming with the years, are liker death than arrows and the lance, which through the living heart at once doth pierce. Spoken of several philosophers, I pray you, all ye men, who put your trust in moulds and systems and well-tackled gear, holding that nature lives from year to year in one continual round because she must, set me not down, I pray you, in the dust of all these centuries like a pot of beer, a pewter pot disconsolately clear, which holds a potful as is right and just. I will grow clamorous by the rude I will, if thus ye use me like a pewter pot. Good friend, thou art a topper and a sot. I will not be the lead to hold thy swill, nor any lead. I will arise and spill thy silly beverage, spill it, piping hot. Nature to him no message dost thou bear, who in thy beauty findeth not the power to gird himself more strongly for the hour of night and darkness. O oh, what colours rare the woods, the valleys, and the mountains wear, to him who knows thy secret, and in shower, and fog and ice cold hath a secret bower, where he may rest until the heavens are fair, not with the rest of slumber, but the trance of onward movement steady and serene, where oft in struggle and in contest keen, his eyes will opened be, and all the dance of life break on him, and a wide expanse roll upward through the void, sunny and green. To June Ah, truant, thou art here again, I see, for in the season of such wretched weather I thought that thou hadst left us altogether. Although I could not choose but fancy thee, skulking about the hilltops, whence the glee of thy blue laughter peeped at times, or rather thy bashful awkwardness, as doubtful whether thou shouldst be seen in such a company of ugly runaways, unshapely heaps of ruffian vapour, broken from restraint of their slim prison in the ocean deeps. But yet I may not chide, 
fall to thy books fall to immediately without complaint there they are lying hills and vales and brooks written about the longest day summer sweet summer many-fingered summer we hold thee very dear as well we may it is the kernel of the year to-day all hail to thee thou art a welcome comer if every insect were a fairy drummer and i a fifer that could deftly play would give the old earth such a roundelay that she would cast all thought of labour from her ah what is this upon my window-pane some sulky drooping cloud comes pouting up stamping its glittering feet along the plain well i will let that idle fancy drop oh how the spouts are bubbling with the rain and all the earth shines like a silver cup on a midge whence do you come ye creatures each of you is perfect as an angel wings and eyes stupendous in their beauty gorgeous eyes in feathery fields of purple and of blue would god i saw a moment as ye do i would become a molecule in size rest with you hum with you or slanting rise along your one dear sunbeam could i view the pearly secret which each tiny fly each tiny fly that hums and bobs and stirs hides in its little breast eternally from you ye prickly grim philosophers with all your theories that sound so high hark to the buzz a moment my good sirs on a waterfall here stands a giant stone from whose far top comes down the sounding water let me gaze till every sense of man in human ways is wrecked and quenched for ever and i drop into the whirl of time and without stoop pass downward thus again my eyes i raise to thee dark rock and through the mist and haze my strength returns when i behold thy prop gleam stern and steady through the wavering rack surely thy strength is human and like me thou bearest loads of thunder on thy back and lo a smile upon thy visage black a breezy tuft of grass which i can see waving serenely from a sunlit crack above my head the great pine branches tower backwards and forwards each to the other bends beckoning the tempest cloud which hither wends like a slow-laboured thought heavy with power hark to the patter of the coming shower let me be silent while the almighty sends his thunder word along but when it ends i will arise and fashion from the hour words of stupendous import fit to guard high thoughts and purposes which i may wave when the temptation cometh close and hard like fiery brands betwixt me and the grave of meaner things to which i am a slave if evermore i keep not watch and ward i do remember how when very young i saw the great sea first and heard it swell as i drew near caught within the spell of its vast size and its mysterious tongue how the floor trembled and the dark boat swung with a man in it and a great wave fell with the stones cast words may never tell the passion of the moment when i flung all childish records by and felt arise a thing that died no more an awful power i claimed with trembling hands and eager eyes mine mine forever in a mortal dower the noise of waters soundeth to this hour when i look seaward through the quiet skies on the source of the arve hearest thou the dash of water loud and hoarse with its perpetual tidings upward climb struggling against the wind oh how sublime 
for not in vain from its portentous source thy heart wild stream hath yearned for its full force but from thine ice-toothed caverns dark as time at last thou issuest dancing to the rhyme of thy outvolleying freedom lo thy course lies straight before thee as the arrow flies right to the ocean plains away away thy parent waits thee and her sunset dyes are ruffled for thy coming and the gray of all her glittering borders flashes high against the glittering rocks o oh, haste and fly End, chapter twenty five end book two